In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, do any of you remember the show, and it might still be on for all I know, it, it was called What Would You Do? Anyone here remember that? It was a reality TV show, uh, which might not be your thing, usually is not my thing, uh, but this was actually one I liked because it, it gave a really unique perspective into humanity. It was called What Would You Do? And if, if you haven't seen it, the, the premise is that actors would act out scenes of conflict or in some case violence or illegal activity or they would act out some morally compromising situation in public and uh, they would do this in front of all sorts of innocent passerbys. And uh, what would happen is, is that the producers of the show would then capture the reaction of these passerbys, who had no idea, by the way, that this was all an act. And as you watched what these, how these people reacted to the violence or the conflict or the illegal activity or the, the moral uh, uh, strangeness, uh, you, you would watch their reaction and you couldn't help but think, what would you do? if you were in their shoes. What would I do? So uh, one example is I remember one episode, there was an actor who was uh, pretending to steal a bunch of bikes from a, a park. And of course, again, no one knew that this was an actor. And so the, the producers captured people. And as you might guess, most people did nothing. They just kind of looked the other way, pretend they didn't see. But a, a few people did. They, they stopped. Uh, I remember one lady called 911. A, a couple people confronted the man and asked him what he was doing as he was clamping down with these big lock cutters. And then what, what happens at the end of the show is that the host comes out and he interviews these innocent passerbys. And he, and he asks them, uh, why did you do what you did? Why did you just keep on walking when you could have stopped uh, a crime from happening? Or, or why did you get involved? It could have cost you. There, there could have been some conflict. Like, why were you willing to put yourself out there? Again, as you watch what these people do, you can't help but think, what, what would you do? What would I do? The truth is that the most of us probably don't need a, a TV show to think about these kinds of things because uh, we, we find ourselves in situations like this all of the time. Uh, maybe, maybe you watch this with your own kids. Those of you who have children uh, who have made it past the teenage years, maybe you watched your teenage children handle some sort of morally conflicting situation and you watched what they did and how they handled it and it kind of made you think, well, what would I have done if I were in their shoes at that age knowing what I know now, what would I do? Or, or maybe you've watched a, a co-worker uh, as they've sadly ended a marriage and as they've made some decisions there and you watch what they did, you can't help but think, well, what would I have done if I were in their shoes? Or, or maybe it's a, a friend who's dealing with some end-of-life medical choices for an aging parent and as you watch the decisions they made, you thought, what would, what would I do if, if I were them? Uh, it's a, a pretty important question to think about, especially as Christian people, that we are not called to just go with the flow and do what everyone else is doing around us and accept what society says. We are to think critically. It's a pretty good question to ask, what would I do? And, and in fact, it is the, the question that is posed to us today in our reading. Uh, in our reading for today from Mark 12, uh, if you'd like to follow along in your bulletin, you can. Uh, Jesus tells a parable. And at the climax of the parable, when the tension is the highest, we can't help but think to ourselves, first, what is he going to do? What is the main character going to do? But then as we wait to hear what he will do, we can't help, I think, but ask ourselves, what would I do if I were in his shoes? So just to, to recap the story, again, you can follow along if you like. The, Jesus tells a parable, a story, and it's about a, a man, a, a landowner who owns a vineyard. Uh, with some grapes and he he owns this land and, and we very quickly learned that this vineyard is pretty important to him 
it's of some value. He, he not only plants the, the seeds, but he, but he also builds a wall around it to protect it. He digs a pit in order to build a wine press, and he, he puts a watchtower in the middle so that he can keep tabs on everything going on. Like, this is, this is more than just a business. This is an investment of value to, to this man. And, uh, but, but it is still a business, so the man leaves, and he puts some farmers in charge, and they're going to watch the land and harvest things for him. And, and the assumption is that when harvest season comes, he will be able to collect, the landowner will collect from these tenant farmers uh, the fruits of their labor. Uh, but we know how the story goes, right? The harvest season come, the, the man sends a servant to go collect some grapes and bring it back to him. But the tenant farmers who have been left in charge, they don't send the servant back with grapes, do they? They, they take that servant and they beat him up. And at this point of the story, we should be thinking to ourselves, well, that's confusing, and, and we should uh, be noticing the, the just blatant cruelty of these tenant farmers, right? Like, do they actually think they're going to get away with this? <laughs> How do they think that, that, that the owner isn't going to hear about it and that he won't do something about it? It should strike us as strange uh, how cruelly these tenant farmers act. And, and this is where we start to ask that question, right? What is he going to do? What will the landowner do in response? And this is where we ought to be reflecting ourselves. What would I do if I were in that landowner's shoes, having one of my servants just beaten and sent back without any grapes? And well, we learn what the, the landowner does, and, and this is meant to surprise us, right? He doesn't send an army to punish. He doesn't enact revenge. He doesn't gift these tenant farmers what the, they deserve. Instead, he sends another servant. And this one they also beat up and, and they treat shamefully and send him away. Uh, and, and again, now we're presented with the question, all right, now two times in, uh, what's he going to do now? What would I do now? Well, the, the landowner, he does something surprising. He sends another servant, and this one is killed, and now the tension is rising, right? Because we, we learn that he sends many others. Each one is either beaten or murdered. We can't help but think at, at this climax of the story that we've gotten to, where, where the tension is, is high, we can't help but think, what will he do? What would I do? Well, well, let's actually pause from the story and from thinking about that, right? That question will be in our mind, but let's pause for a second if we can. Uh, because we need to talk about the, the bigger context of this story. This parable that Jesus is telling about this vineyard and, and all of it, it, it is not a new story. Jesus is not just making this up on the spot, right? And, and it might not be obvious to us, but it would have been abundantly clear to Jesus' first audience. See, this, this story that Jesus is telling about the vineyard and the tenants and the landowner, it's actually a retelling of an ancient story, a retelling with a, with a new spin on it of a, a story that would have been so familiar and, and well-loved to the people of Israel, especially these chief priests and Pharisees who are listening to Jesus. And the ancient story that Jesus is retelling comes from Isaiah chapter 5. If you didn't know that, that is okay. I didn't know it the first hundred times I read the story. Uh, but but it's an old story. So let me actually just read uh, for you from, from the book of Isaiah here, and uh, we'll, we'll retell that ancient story. And you tell me if these words from Isaiah end up sounding familiar to you. So this is Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Uh, Isaiah writes, by the power of God, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? 
When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So do you see the similarities there, right? Jesus is taking these ancient words from Isaiah and he's retelling the story, but he's, he's doing it in an in all new way and he's added a twist to it. If you, if you remember the story in Isaiah we just read, uh, we are told that the, the vineyard is the people of God and that the people of God are this rebellious people who deserve God's punishment. But in Jesus' retelling of the story, he's not condemning the vineyard, he's not condemning the people, he's condemning the tenant farmers, the leaders of the people, the, the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, the, the ones who were supposed to lead the people in the ways of God but have, have treated his servants shamefully. And so now imagine the tension, right? The tension is rising in the story naturally. Jesus is an engaging storyteller. But now imagine you're one of the Pharisees and at first you hear the story and you think to yourself, okay, I, I've heard this before. Jesus is, is telling us about Isaiah 5. But now as the story goes on, it becomes clear that he's talking about you, <laughs> that he's condemning you and now the tension is rising. What is the landowner going to do? How is Jesus going to finish this story, right? How, how does Jesus think about us? What does he have to say about us? And, and this is where we're thinking the same things. How is this landowner going to treat his tenant farmers? What would I do? And I think we would have to all admit that if it were us, we would act uh, at the very least in anger and maybe at the very worst with violence. That if we were that landowner, we would give those tenant farmers what they deserve, right? We, we would enact revenge. We would send an army to bring punishment. But, but that's not what the landowner did, was it? <laughs> In a, a surprising, uh, shocking act of maybe even seemingly foolishness, this landowner, knowing full well what has been done to the servants, this landowner sends not another servant, but his son. Not just any son, but his beloved son knowing full well what fate most likely awaits him, the landowner sends his son to the vineyard because he cares about this vineyard. And the point of the story, of, of course, is, is that Jesus is talking about his people. God loves his people so much that he sent his son into the world knowing that his son would most likely die in the world or would die in the world, but he, but he was willing to send his son to make that sacrifice because of how much he loved us. Now, we all wish that the story had a happier ending, right? Uh, that the parable ended on a, a high note, but it doesn't quite end that way. This, the story actually ends pretty predict predictably. The beloved son is sent to the tenant farmers. He's killed. Uh, the tenant farmers receive punishment. And that's something we need to wrap our minds around. If we want to accept the God of love and grace and kindness and compassion, we also have to recognize today that we have a God who punishes evil and brings justice to bear against sin. And yet that's not the final word of the story. The final word is that the vineyard is opened up to others. And the commentary that Jesus is making there is that his people, his family, will now be open to others. That, that the family of God is no longer limited to the, the ethnic Jewish people who had the right blood in their veins and the right ethnicity and the right lineage that, that they could fall back on who had followed the right traditions but that now God has opened up his family to all people and he did it by sending his own son to die. The one who had lived a perfect life would be sacrificed for the sins of the world. That's what God did. 
which is so different from what you and I would do. But it's an important question to ask. What would I do? <laughs> and again, if, if we're being honest and we're reflecting in our lives, it's a question we should be asking ourselves all of the time. What would I do? Uh, most of us realize by this point that life is not exactly black and white all of the time, that there, there seems like there's a lot of gray, and, and we're trying to figure this out, right? What would I do? Right, what is the right decision to make? And that's a good question to ask. What should I do here now? What would God have me do? Uh, but I, I think a, a more helpful question to ask is not just what should I do, but a, a more helpful question to ask is what did God do? Or, or what did Jesus do? Now, you might remember those little bracelets that were popular like 20 years ago now that said WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? That's a, a good question to ask. It, it can be enlightening for us. But uh, the, the truth is we're not left to wonder what Jesus would do, right? Because we know what he did do. And what Jesus did throughout his life and even into his death is that Jesus did live a life of other-centered sacrifice. Jesus did always have others in mind and he was and, and he did do whatever it took to win them back to himself. And if we would remember what Jesus did do on our behalf, then, then we would be guided throughout our lives. Then, then we would see that we are also called to the lives of other-centered sacrifice, serving and giving, not for our own interests, but the interests of others, even when it comes at a great personal cost to ourselves. And so when we ask the question, what would Jesus do or what did Jesus do, we would see that we have a God of extravagant sacrifice and that would guide us in our decisions. But, but even more than that, I think as we reflect on that question, what did Jesus do, we are filled with hope and joy and peace and love because we know that, that Jesus went to the cross for us even though we have not done the right thing even though what we have done is sin over and over and over again. That despite our sin and our rebellion, that Jesus did the unthinkable. He gave up his life for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.